High School Slumber Party is brought to Welcome, slumberers of today, slumberers of tomorrow, slumberers of yesterday, slumberers all across the timeline. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where we some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place. But first, school is still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. So I'm just going to be honest with you, speaking from the heart. This was a pretty distracting week. This was a pretty uh, tough week emotionally. I'm a bit heartbroken. If you're in the United States or maybe around the world, even following the events here in the good old USA. Yeah, it's been tough. I know you don't come here for politics, but this is beyond politics. I'm not really going to get into it. You know what's going on, but I'm just being honest with you. It's been a tough week. I grew up idolizing the U.S. government, presidents, all that kind of stuff. I remember my red presidential book, reading about Rutherford B. Hayes, Millard Fillmore, and all these random people. And yeah, I mean, the older you get, the more that comes crashing down. I actually went to school to be in government, kind of. I was a government and politics major, but I got jaded there, and it seems like Every year that passes, I get more and more jaded when it comes to government and people in general. All I can say is ego is a nasty, nasty thing. Do not idolize individual people, okay? Love your family. Love your friends. I get all that. That's not what I'm saying. But, like, don't put individual people on a pedestal. It's gross. It's disgusting. Idol worship should not happen. I don't know. I thought about not even having an episode this week, to be honest with you. I know that might be dramatic to some, but that's how I felt. But then I decided, I need this. I need you guys. I need the slumbers. I need you to listen, I guess. <laughs> even if you're not listening, I need to make these episodes. They help keep me normal. They help keep me sane. So thank you so much for being there. Once again, I know I know, I sound like a broken record with this, and maybe it doesn't sound sincere, but it's sincere. Thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. God damn it, I was being sincere, and the bell rings. Jesus Christ. Anyway, anyway, I apologize. The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. If you think it's going to get bright and sunny after that, well, unfortunately, I intended to open this episode up with some even more sad news. So I didn't know this. Actually, a friend of the program and former guest, Christian Larson, reached out to me, and I confirmed it with another former guest, Dan Colon. Mike McBeardo McPadden passed away about two weeks ago in December. If you don't know who that is, I'm sorry, but one of the books that I really count on for research in this podcast, it's called Teen Movie Hell. If you like this podcast, 
I suggest seriously that you get this book. It is awesome, especially for these random, crazy movies of the 80s, but not just crazy ones. This book has it all. Dan Colon actually recommended it to me on a podcast with our guest today, Mike Manzi. He told me about it, and I don't know. I like have relied on this book so much. I think this book is so awesome. It doesn't say how he died, but he's the author, and he wasn't that old. He was a young dude, so I feel really bad. My heart goes out to his family. There's a GoFundMe for his family that I'm definitely going to donate to. I suggest you do it as well. Again, I don't know why he passed away, but I owe him something. I've gotten so much information for this podcast from the book Teen Movie Hell. So my thoughts and prayers go out to Mike McBeardo McPatton and his family and his loved ones and everyone. Oh boy, honestly. When you don't know someone, but you use so much of their work and their hard-earned effort, you got to just give them props, you know? Apparently, his uh, wife is named Rachel, so God bless Rachel. God bless everyone. Once again, I'll post it on social media. Rest in peace. I wish I knew when it happened. I'm sorry that I didn't. But, yeah, he shouldn't be unknown because this book is one of the most amazing books I've ever read. Check out Teen Movie Hell. Buy Teen Movie Hell. If there was ever a time to buy Teen Movie Hell, it's now. So we do have to talk about your homework. I hope you listened to the last episode we did on Monday, which was so awesome. It was a Twilight Q&A with Kate Hudson. Joe 2 passed by. I'm not going to get too into it, but oh my God, we had so much fun. The one thing I'll say from it, social media, you guys have been great. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I've been putting up a poll on who should be our 1998 Bella. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, shame on you. Listen to the episode. You can listen to us on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. And while you're there, write us a review. Give us a rating. But anyway, oh, sorry. You could also listen on cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. But anyway, on that episode, we kind of chatted a little bit about who would be different Bellas and Edwards and other people in different eras. So, yeah, Kate couldn't decide who the 1998 Bella was. I've been doing this eight-woman tournament. It's been so much fun. Guys, keep voting. Next episode, I'll announce who the winner is. But <laughs> I love it when you guys participate. We've gotten over triple-digit votes for some of these uh, questions. I'm glad it inspired you so much. Is it Katie Holmes? Is it Julia Stiles? Is it Brandy? Is it Jennifer Love Hewitt? Who is the 1998 Bella? It's the most random poll you've ever been asked, but check out our social media. It's ongoing. Keep it up. Keep voting. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Today's homework, of course, was to watch the movie called Project Almanac. And to listen to today's episode, Mike Manzi is here, one of our most guested people ever. I think he is our most guested person ever. He's great. I've been getting such like good compliments about his work on this show, specifically the Shazam episode. A bunch of people have come out and been like, yo, that Shazam episode's awesome. Mike Manzi knows a lot about Shazam. Yes, he does. He knows a lot about a lot of stuff. He knows a lot about time travel, too. So it's a pleasure to bring you this episode on Project Almanac. So you know what that means. It's just about that time. Pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother sleeping at Brian's. Because we're about to get our party on. I leave you with a song from the Project Almanac soundtrack. And it's not just in the soundtrack. It's a song that's performed live in the movie. Imagine Dragons. That's the artist and the song is Radioactive. 
Class dismissed. So, Mike, we've had an episode this year, but this is the first movie we're covering of the year. So happy to have you on. Um, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, or reintroduce yourself, we should say, to High School Slumber Party, and then we could talk all about Project Almanac. Yeah, excellent. So I am Mike Manzi from the future, RHS, <laughs> class of 1997, ooh, from way in the past. Uh, <laughs> go Maroons! Not a tangible mascot. No, no, <laughs> it's not. But it would be cool if you could, if you somehow did some good like voice editing where you were like another Mike Manzi was the guest from the present and like a past oh, Mike Manzi. Kind of like <laughs> your um, Brian Rodriguez on the street, like when you throw it to yourself <laughs> at the news. <laughs> don't, don't reveal how we do the our effects here on High School. Well, Party. I would say it's your twin, but you have the same name, so it kind of. <laughs> Yeah, maybe I should change the name. Who knows? Good ideas. Anyway, (laughs) so Mike, I think you ended up tying Kate Hudson for, I'll have to check the stats, but you were either second place, first place, or in a first place tie with Kate Hudson for most guested person of 2020. It's 2021. Mm -hmm. New year. New year. I knew I wanted to have you on. I wasn't sure what movie we were going to do. I was looking through my list and you're like, let's do Project Almanac. And I was like, what's that? You sold me on a teenage time traveling movie. With found footage or something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, like, yeah. The elevator pitch had to have been a found footage teenage time travel movie. Yeah, and I was like, sure, that sounds interesting. So I have to ask, why Project Almanac? What's your history with this film? For mm. honestly, I, it was kind of unexpected. It came out of left field for me that you would suggest this. I wasn't even really expecting to do this movie next. It just sort of popped into my head. I, I'm kind of surprised it wasn't on your list and you haven't heard of it. Uh, I'm wondering about like high school found footage films. I'm going to probably mention one towards the end, but if they're rare, like high school Christmas movies in that sense. Yeah, I don't know. Something about time traveling teenagers. You know, I'm a big fan of Marty McFly, of course, probably like the preeminent time traveling teenager. Uh, Bill and Ted, they're great and everything. And while I'm not like a mega fan of found footage, I like, I think they're fine. Found footage films are okay. I think this one uses the genre 
one of the best ways. Like, it has one of the best excuses, let's just put it that way, for being found footage. I'd still like to see a version of this that that isn't necessarily, and, and sort of halfway through the movie, I started kind of imagining it that way. But, uh, yeah, it just kind of popped into my head. I was like, hey, you know, you're always looking for sort of teenage movies outside of the box, high school movies that are sort of have like a different bend or twist to them. And this came to mind. It wasn't so much about the subject matter and time travel and all that. I don't know. This is, to me, a very a movie that was very much geared to teens in 2014, 2015, and you were not a teen in that age? <laughs> no, but I'm a huge science fiction fan, and I'm a big fan of time travel genre. Even I wasn't aware of this. I think I saw the trailer, and I don't. I remember the, the date getting pushed, and I didn't see it in theaters, and then it showed up on demand. Uh, I think this was also around the time of maybe a movie called Project X, which is the other, which is another found footage uh, high school movie about just a, an, an enormous mega party that's thrown uh, one weekend. And yeah, I don't know. I, I just always felt this one kind of flew under the radar. I looked at some of the reviews. I was surprised to find out it wasn't too well received. It doesn't have like the best likes out there, but I really like it. Let's talk a little bit more about the found footage thing, because I don't have a lot of experience with found footage films. As you and I have talked about extensively on this podcast, I'm not a huge horror guy. I'm more of one now than when I started, for sure. But uh, I always felt like found footage was something almost exclusively in the horror genre. Uh, yeah, I think part of that might be because one of, like, considered the first found footage, I guess, or modern one, is the Blair Witch Project, uh, which I feel still holds up extremely well. That's in my sort of, like, top five or so movies that still, you know, goosebumps start to end, scares the hell out of me. And I think of the paranormal activity really sort of bumped up, uh, raised the ante, so to speak, as far as like, you know, they just cranked those out. Those were found footage movies and stuff. But there's a lot of them sort of uh, floating around the edges of the genre that uh, I feel are either overlooked and are also really good. Chronicle is a really good high school found footage movie with sort of a sci-fi bend to it as well. They're out there in the other genres. I don't think you're going to... I think the weird thing is there isn't any, like, um, romantic comedies shot as a found footage. <laughs> you know, because I also Why think... Of, like, be, yeah. yeah, no, but, like, you, you know, like your Cloverfield, right? Like, that's a horror action sci-fi thing as well. So I, I could totally understand why um, it's not, like, on your radar, why you haven't seen tons of these. I think of the series Wreck, R-E-C, uh, started off, I believe, as a Spanish language horror series about a quarantined apartment building filled with zombies that got ported over to America at some point during the early 2000s. So yeah, you're probably right. I think it's mostly thought of uh, for horror. Um, and I think one reason I quite like this one more is because it's not. It sort of tries to adopt it onto a different genre, a different style, and a, and a whole new premise. And that's what drew me into this movie. I realized while watching it, I had seen the trailer. So I was like, okay, I was a little bit aware of this movie, but I didn't know much about it. In terms of found footage movies, isn't the only the first Cloverfield a found footage film? Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah, and I think that was part of the Cloverfield series was to sort of try and keep it changing, uh, not just like from horror to hard sci-fi or whatever, not just switch the genre, but switch the style as well. But I think you uh, made a really good point that I've a criticism I've heard that some things in the genre do not need to be found footage and they just are to make it scarier. It reminds me of when a lot of uh, TV comedies went that like reality style that like The Office had. Yeah. Because again, the British Office 
makes sense as like a reality thing because it was a short series. The American Office makes sense to an extent, but like towards the later seasons, they're like, all right, we get it. But then they were like Modern Family, which was like a wildly successful show. I don't think ever acknowledges that it's shot in that style, you know, Um, even though it is. Even Parks and Rec, uh, which, again, is kind Mm -hmm. of a derivative of The Office, is shot in that style. And then people are like, did it have to be? Why? And not as a criticism, but it just it was kind of weird, you know. And I I think found footage kind of it's, it's almost like a cousin of that. I don't have experience with it. Maybe you could speak more to that. But I've heard that criticism of like, all right, I think you're just using it as a technique rather than... You know mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say? Yeah, or, or... Oh, no, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, this movie even tries to have a little bit of um, sort of fourth wall fun with that in the sense that where one of the characters at some point says, just keep filming everything, you know? Like, we're doing yeah. science experiments here. Uh, like, it, it opens really brilliantly where it's like he's doing a submission to MIT, and it's like he has to film it because you have to see the experiment, and that's a very clever sort of conceit that they've started with in the first place. They're already filming everything. But yes, there are definitely times where, and I can't really put my finger on it at the moment, uh, where you're like... Why is this a first-person perspective found footage film for the entire thing, kind of? So there's this movie called Hardcore Henry, and it's not a found footage film, but it's all first-person perspective. So it's like, you know, like hmm. a video game, right? And and the people are talking to the camera, and you're basically along for the ride as the brain inside of Hardcore Henry's body and stuff. Uh, and that, to me, feels like the extent of where you can take sort of the single-camera first-person perspective uh, idea. I think, like, a lot of movies do sort of, uh, or did sort of lean on it as a gimmick, and it wasn't necessary. A lot of times, I had problems with it because it's just too shaky. Like, the shaky cam, for a lot of things, gives me, you know, nausea, uh, slight nausea. Like, even some of those Born Identity movies, like, man, it's too much. Like, get it under control. And, And so, like, that's another thing, too, I think, on top of everything else, where it's just, it's sloppy. It's messy filmmaking. Uh, it's intentional, but people are just not used to that. And, and there's only a, so much, like a person I feel like, there's only so much he can take. I'm glad you bring that up, Mike, because that's another thing that I was wondering throughout the film. The shakiness. And I don't think I've talked about it on air. Maybe Hoffman, uh, because like the first Hunger Games, which he's not even in, is kind of shot that way. But when this got trendy, that shaky cam got trendy. But the problem that I always had with it, it's a little too shaky. Let's flash forward to 2020 when found footage is also not that crazy because, Mike, you spend time with younger people, you know, with, with your nephews and stuff. Uh, you know, I spend time with younger cousins and stuff, and they're all watching TikTok and stuff. TikTok and all these other internet, you know, I sound YouTube. like an old man. YouTube. Yeah. And those people can have a more steady hand than the found footage films of the time. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. it kind of doesn't make sense. Blair Witch, I totally get because they're running through the woods. That's a different kind of camera, you know. But found footage today, it's like even a 10-year-old has a steady hand when filming, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And a lot of it does have to reflect upon the technology at the time. Like now all of our iPhones have 4K cameras with image stabilizers. And, you know, so, yeah, I mean, that too. I just want to give a quick shout out to this one found footage film that's kind of like does it in its own way as well it's called look and it's 
all compiled of security camera footage. Now, this is all fictional narrated and written footage. It's it's written and directed by one of my favorite director writers, Adam Rifkin, also known as Riff Coogan. It's great because he, he is able to weave a narrative from security camera footage, from convenience stores, from supermarkets, from people's own like nanny cams, like all kinds of things. And you get like a real good sense of this entire like community believe it or not, uh, just through that. So, I mean, there's more than just handheld first-person found footage films and stuff. And I believe some movies even like to switch it around and go back and forth between, you know, archival footage and found footage and this and that and, and the whole nine yards. But uh, I don't know. I think that this is a very sort of 21st century style. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I'm not going to bash it completely because I think it does have a purpose and I think it, there is a style to it. Uh, again, I, I think after Blair Witch, it just became a little bit trendy, and too many things maybe were using it like not yeah. in the right way. But I, I do see the merit in it. What you just said inspired two two really random thoughts. First, you mentioned that there's no like romantic comedies this way. I, I think you'd have to be a very very talented writer and a, a very talented director to pull this off. But today, in the whole again TikTok generation, you probably could do some kind of found footage documentary style or, or whatever um, romantic comedy. I'm not saying it would be good. Before you would just film weird stuff, crazy stuff, but now everything is filmed. So there is probably enough to like show the history of a relationship through TikTok videos. If that makes sense? Yeah, no, totally. Because like, there's even that version of found footage now. I feel where like it all takes place in one shot on someone's computer screen, and there's like that one. There's that one movie with Harold. Oh man, I'm doing bad tonight. But Harold from Harold and Kumar, John Cho. He was looking for his daughter. Like that whole movie is just watching him through the computer camera, searching through the internet, looking for his lost daughter, bringing up files and videos and all kinds of things and stuff. And then there was another new. I feel like during quarantine, there was a horror film that took place on the internet over people's computer screens, like over a Zoom call or something maybe. Um, and these are all like the next sort of logical extensions of the genre and and I think it's really getting to the core of it because this is all sort of spawning from documentary style right like Blair Witch is supposed to get you to think that it's a real documentary but it's not it's almost like Spinal Tap like is Spinal mm-hmm. Tap a found footage film no because it wasn't considered found in the forest after these people died and it was thought lost forever that's sort of where the misnomer might have come from uh, ever after there like that was just a mockumentary but the Blair Witch is a found footage film because of the story behind it the whole marketing behind it created like the term for it and everything thereafter even if it's kind of ironic, like Project Almanac is truly a found footage film because they do find the footage at one point. Like, it's <laughs> funny in that sense, too. But a lot of them are not. You know, a lot of them are just sort of like tagged on to that uh, to that name and everything like that. But what it really does is it just gives us a sense of being there more than, say, a conventionally shot Hollywood movie. Like something that you know you're watching a movie. This definitely feels um, like something happened like this feels like it was more real than if it wasn't filmed by a bunch of kids absolutely so then the other thought uh, you inspired me to think i suppose is a uh, very very random has no relation to high school slumber party but you mentioned adam rifkin and this is a movie i really want to be on for our friends podcast <laughs> foodie films 
It's called Mouse Hunt. Have you seen Mouse yep. Hunt from nineteen? Yeah, yeah. He wrote so Mouse he, Hunt. Yeah. He wrote Mouse Hunt. Mm-hmm. The he wrote Small Mouse Soldiers Hunt. too. That was like his big, I think, breakthrough. Oh, he also, and... yeah, and he also directed that movie with Cage, uh, Never on Tuesday, where Nick Cage shows up in a red sports car for two seconds and a really weird nose. Like, yeah, he goes <laughs> way back. I love Adam Rifkin stuff. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I didn't realize he did Small Soldiers, which we've covered here. But I was just looking um, up Mouse Hunt the other day just for Kyle's podcast, and uh, he wrote it, but the director is uh, Gore Verbinski. Yeah, yeah. Who, <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean stuff. Pirates of the Caribbean, and uh, you know he did The Ring, I think. Like He's done some crazy stuff. And the cinematographer is one of my favorite uh, cinematographers, actually. Like His name's Fidon Papa Michael. I-, I know it's a weird name, and people don't know cinematographers. Let me see. Oh, he did The Weatherman, which... Oh, Cage, Cage again. Cage, nice. Cage movie, but he did Walk the Line, 310 to Yuma, Ides oh. of March, which we covered on Hoffman, oh. Nebraska for Alexander Payne. Oh, wow. Like, he's like a really great cinematographer. I love his work. And I was just looking at the... I'm like, Jesus, a lot of people involved in the Sideways, another Alexander Payne film, but a lot of people like involved in the silly like kids film Mouse Hunt were like, you know, quality people. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I encourage everyone to go check out Rifkin's um, filmography. You know, he he did Burt Reynolds' last film. That was really good. Um, oh, cool. He, he did this really whacked out movie. I know this is, we're getting off track, but check out The Dark Backward. I think that, like, says the most about him creatively as a person. It's about a stand-up comic who grows a third arm out of his back. Uh, it's just really interesting stuff. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we should get into Project Almanac, though. And uh, if you guys aren't familiar with it, I'm going to read, like I do every week, the back of the DVD. Not a cool back of the DVD here, by the way, just letting you know, but here goes. From the producer, Michael Bay, (laughs) comes the action-packed thrill ride critics are calling a total blast. Sorry, I'm just laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Michael Bay, (laughs) a total blast. Cool. Like, what a selling point. Anyway, (laughs) when a brilliant high school student and his friends discover blueprints for a machine that can send them back in time, the possibilities seem endless. They rewrite history to win the lottery, ace exams, and party like there's no tomorrow. But in changing the past, they have threatened the future of our world. Can they undo the damage they have unleashed before it's too late? Sure, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a quick one. So production notes... Are a little mm. confusing. There seems to be two differing things when I did deep dives on the internet about this film. There's oh. one. Pl- there's one place that says that this was on that blacklist in 2012 of unproduced oh. films. Oh, okay, all right, all right. That like you know what is it like unproduced films that people really like the best the best in the business that haven't been made yet. Yeah, and, and maybe that's true, but everywhere else tells a different story so if, well if just you in- just uh, just a little amendum to that not all movies on that list that get made turn out to be great a lot of them for sure for sure yes. <laughs> <laughs> but the other side of that coin most of the internet research i did tells a very different story uh, this fact was almost everywhere that said the movie took nine months to write film and edit and that's not counting okay. the three three months of research so the, so the timeline doesn't really make sense if it was on a Hollywood blacklist just sitting there, you know? Right. I'm not sure, but multiple places also said that the cast only got the script five days before shooting. Well, that would make sense as far as trying to give it that fresh energy. 
you know, as far oh, as trying to point. make it kind of, like that might have been a director's idea, or that could sort of corroborate with the speed in which they were working to get this going. They might not even have had pages done until like a week before they were, you know. Okay, that's interesting. I didn't know any of this. I mean, there's not a lot of scholarship on this film. It's just little bits and pieces. I know there were uh, two other working titles, Welcome to Yesterday and just Almanac. Okay, yes, because I saw a trailer with this, and it was just called Almanac. And it might have been delayed a couple months, you know? Like, they start running trailers, and then you don't see the movie, and the trailers kind of disappear. And then all of a sudden, you start seeing trailers again for this movie, and you're (laughs) like, I guess it's coming out soon. Uh, And it came out with Project Almanac. Okay. Yeah, and there were extensive delays on releasing the film, which is very funny, because they rushed into it. It was supposed to come out in 2014. Uh, They mentioned that they're in the year 2014 in the film a lot, but it actually came out in 2015. Well, that kind of works for it being like a time travel thing. Yeah, it was and who cares in the end of the day? Um, I couldn't find the main reasons why it kept getting delayed. There was one thing, but I don't think it would delay an entire film. Apparently, in the original cut, they used footage from an actual yes. plane crash. Right. <laughs> so you've heard yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. But apparently the plane crash we see in the film is actually a, a reconstituted version of the plane crash in the Denzel Washington film Flight because oh, they had okay. they had to switch it out so fast and I think it was the same studio so they're like shit let's just do this who's going to well, notice kind of thing What's great about that is that's that's total Michael Bay producing because he steals shots from himself all the fucking time like half of the action sequences in Transformers is from the island and it's just re Oh really? Re, yeah and it's just like refit to be you know different color grade throw some robots in there but we're using the same crash the same explosion That's crazy. He does that all he, he's kind of known for doing like and it they kind of love him for it too it's like his thing of like saving money and apparently michael bay had a heavy hand in this production he wasn't just like a outlying producer like he did a lot yeah. when it came to this film it feels in a way very michael bay when you get away from those transformer movies like those are sure those are like enormous but the rest of his stuff even bad boys isn't as big as those transformer movies like there's there's quiet moments in between the explosions there's actual like good jokes and like reasons to actually laugh as opposed to like forced robot humor and things you know and and other stuff going on in those like it's like oh man it's like such third grade humor in those Transformers movies so like I'm actually a believer in Michael Bay's like other work and this definitely has that energy of like he's a big kid he still thinks he's in high school like he wants to fit in and like all that stuff so he's hanging out with the cool kids and some of the nerds and we're gonna put them all together and like yeah, it, especially when they go to like Lollapalooza, I'm like, this is this is Michael Bay's time travel movie. Like, only in a Michael Bay time travel movie would they not go back and save the world, right? Would they like, <laughs> just party it up and pull pranks and stuff? But honestly, that was one of my favorite uh, favorite parts of the film. Not oh yeah, it works so well. Just the fact that teenagers would do that, but we'll get into that for sure. Teens being teens, man, I love it. The director's one of Michael Bay's proteges, at least at the time. I don't know about Ooh, Michael Bay protege. Say that ten times fast. <laughs> Dean Israelite is his name. Israelite, I suppose. Oh, the Israelites. <laughs> That's all I can think of. So he, <laughs> so he did this film, but I think he was being primed to do uh, the new Power Rangers film, and that bombed. So oh, he did that as well? Yeah. That was actually praised for its uh, non-Power Rangers stuff. 
uh, like they're like, wow, this is like a really inclusive teen drama here. And then it's like, yeah. go, go Power Rangers. Like, wait, what? <laughs> We're going where now? <laughs> I definitely want to cover it, honestly, like on this podcast, because it is a teen film. And I've heard that. But uh, I, I, it ended up making money, but they wanted this to be like the film of the year. you know? Right. And yeah, yeah. That's too bad. It just didn't happen. So he hasn't done much since, unfortunately. But also too bad, because he's actually quite a fine director. Yeah, you know, and, and I, I don't know, I kind of feel bad for him, but look, we're not in charge of Hollywood, who knows? There's not much else on him, frankly, so we can just skip to the cast here, which, honestly, not a known cast. Who are these people, and where have they been? Because I don't know any of these kids, and I think they're all great. <laughs> and I guess it's typical of a found footage film, at least some of them, to do stuff like this, like not have household names, because that kind of takes you out of the found footage element. Yeah, yeah. So the lead here, his name is Johnny Weston. Uh, quick question on him, and I don't know if I was crazy, but did his hair color change in the movie? Oh, oh, not only that, but like the length changes a lot. But I don't know, though, how long this movie takes place over. It seems like it takes like at least a month or two to build the machine. Uh, but yes, I did notice one or two inconsistencies with his hairstyles. <laughs> and that led me to believe that maybe that delay was because of some reshoots here or there. Hmm, possibly. I'm not 100% sure. But uh, so his name's Johnny Weston, and he was actually 26 when he shot this. Whoa, so really? Like, yeah, Dude, he's not he, plays, he plays such a good, awkward, like, I definitely knew kids like him in high school. Like, I was close to that type of awkwardness at times. Like, <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, he is super awkward. I thought he actually did a really good job, so I'm with you. So some of these other people, like, I really hadn't seen them in anything. Uh, Sophia Black to Ella plays Jesse, who is like the love interest in this. The, the cool girl. Yeah. That gets so, kind of like roped into their nerd crew. The only thing I wanted to say about her, New Jersey, New Jersey girl here. Go Jersey. Uh, Clifton High School. Clifton, Whoa, New Jersey. Whoa, close. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So uh, really other cool. than that, I could not find too many other facts on people. Did, did you find out the mascot to Clifton High by chance? <laughs> I could. I could. Let's see. <laughs> Clifton High School... Clifton High School Athletics. Okay, I see a horse. The Mustangs. Oh, nice, Mustangs. <laughs> the Clifton Mustangs. All those horses in New Jersey once upon oh, a the, time. Those wild horses, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the only other person I really found with notes is, and I recognized her because I just, co- I just watched all the movies from 2020, and she was in one of them as like a tangential character, was uh, Virginia Gardner, who was the sister. Uh, so okay. she was in yeah. All the Bright Places, which is a movie I watched this year. But apparently she was in the new Halloween. I don't yeah. know. I didn't see that one. Yeah. I didn't recognize her from that, but I got her confused with like two or three other actresses that I thought she was during this. But Oh, yeah. Yeah. But she she's great. I wish she was on screen a little bit more, though. She's she's like the documentarian. She's the sister that's uh, covering like all of this for the most part. I, I made a note on that. So at one point, it's cool. It's like, oh, we have a woman behind the camera. This should be a woman's point of view. But it doesn't really go that way. You know, it doesn't yeah. feel like a woman's point of view. Maybe <laughs> no. sometimes, but Dude. mostly not. Yeah. First of all, it's so crazy because every time she's not holding the camera, it's one of David's horny friends. And you're doing <laughs> like shots of legs of high school girls. <laughs> legs and asses and stuff and you're like man you're just like that's one of the things like you really you're right like they, <laughs> they had a chance then they blew it <laughs> <laughs> absolutely you blew it 
One of the best line readings ever. I mean, I, I think everyone does a pretty good job, more or less. Well, there's not a whole lot of people like in the main cast. There's only like the five of them. So there's the there's the guy who plays Adam, Al- Alan Evangelista. And yeah. then there's the guy who plays Quinn, who is Sam Lerner. And Quinn is just like a, you know, he is like the guy you find in every teen comedy, <laughs> right? Yeah. Except he's dropped into the middle of like the smartest kids in the world. Uh, and he himself is no like idiot, but he's definitely way more into the like party time excellent side of it as opposed to the, you know, <laughs> history side of it, I guess. Uh, I liked him. I think he came across most like a high school kid, most like a teenager. Like his level of excitement and everything like that was great. And yeah, I liked him. Too. I mean, I liked them all. I think they all worked really well. And I they came across as a uh, as like friends, as people who like already had like rapport and you know rhythm again and bounced off each other really well and stuff. So yeah, I I wonder actually how much they were allowed to just sort of like goof off and improv and they were sort of because sometimes with these movies you shoot them when they're not looking you shoot them when you say cut and you keep rolling you have found footage it's usually digital so like you could just burn tape till the end of time and you could just you know do it make the whole thing in the edit you know just get back there and cobble it all together a lot of those moments like come up where i'm like are they just like kind of bullshitting between takes? Are they just kind of running lines? Is this part of a rehearsal? Uh, it kind of has that vibe to it, and I think it, it works. It's a shame that like movies that don't do well, I guess, you know, well they don't get as much scholarship unless they become like cult classics later. Because I'd love to, you know, know the story more of the story of this film. And by the way, even though people like said it was a flop. The budget was only twelve million dollars, and it made thirty-three million dollars. Like that's not really a yeah. flop to me. Like that's no. you know tripling its budget. Like I think mm-hmm. you're good. You know, like <laughs> yeah, I think it just had the climate working against it. Like I think it, it was coming out maybe around the peak of the found footage craze, so that was kind of against it. I think it was also peak Michael Bay, so that was working against it. Like people are just you know at least people in my circles, they're just kind of like. You know, it can get it gets to a point with those Transformer movies when you're just like the general public just I guess they just assume that's everything that he does, you know, and even in my circle, that's the thing, too. So it's tough. There's fatigue from every angle, I guess, is what I'm trying to say coming at this movie. I guess the only thing at the time that wasn't really hitting was time travel. I don't know. Yeah, um, I guess quickly, I just want to mention, too, that this was an MTV film uh, produced at at least they you know, put that header on it. It was definitely geared more towards teens, or at least marketed more towards teens. And let's be honest, Mike, like maybe you, maybe me as a kid, but most like cool kid teens don't really want to see time travel films unless they're like (laughs) silly, like sex comedy time travel films or just, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah, yeah. On subject matter alone, it doesn't feel like a teenage kids film no i think you're totally right because i don't see any of those young adult divergent mocking jay whatever hunger game books none of those are about time travel right they're all about vampires and fighting to the death and and shit like that but no one's going back in time to try and like score the girl <laughs> <or anything. laughs> But they should be, damn it. <laughs> I mean, there have been actually, it's funny, there might not have been a lot of found footage romantic comedies, but I feel like in the adult 
not the adult, not in like the triple X adult sense. (laughs) Excuse me. Pause. But in the sense that like there have been some romantic comedies around the time travel notion, like the time traveler's wife and another, and another one with some ginger with uh, general Hux. Damn. That's a shame that that's why, how I referenced that. (laughs) Dom Hall Gleason. There we go. Right. Where I feel like they were in love and, and they were time travelers and they couldn't help it. And their wives waited for them and stuff. Uh, I'm just saying, like, even that transcends to romantic, to romance and comedy. And uh, even the old um, Christopher Reeves, uh, Somewhere in Time, like, that's a romantic time travel movie. Like, yeah, so Hot Tub you might time be machine. right. <laughs> even those guys are a bunch of middle-agers, right? So you could be onto something. Maybe the teens are just not into um, traveling through time. They like where they are. Well, we do have another uh, time travel teen film that is referenced in this. Well, there's two, actually, that are referenced in this, and they're teen films, and Back to the Future and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. But yes, they're different, yes. you know? Yeah, they're like the, what you were talking about. They're like from the age of, they're more of like a joke. Like they're watching it, maybe as a lark because these are what my parents like kind of thing it's funny how they they reference looper ryan johnson's Looper. oh yeah which is, yeah which is very fresh at the time too i was like what is what i didn't remember that <laughs> but again you know that's not a that's not about kids like that is a very hard noir right like that is that is like a sam spade novel you know like kids are gonna fall asleep during that that's for adults <laughs> isn't it amazing that technically the highest grossing film of all time is a time travel movie. Ooh. Now, technically, what movie would were we talking about? Avengers Endgame is technically a time travel movie, wow. right? Wow, yeah, absolutely. I didn't I didn't know that that held the title though. It just wow. I don't think it's okay. like aggregate cuz you know they say like Gone with the Wind technically made more, you know, that kind of stuff, but like in But that's of, not a time travel movie. That's uh... <laughs> In terms of raw dollars, Endgame was a time travel film. And it wasn't just tangentially a time travel film. Like, they reference Back to the Future in that as well. And Hot Tub Time Machine. And Hot Tub Time Machine. (laughs) And Die Hard, but that's not a time travel movie. And you know what? That movie does it in the way where it's earned, too, because they go back into all the old movies. You know what I mean? Like, there's its own history to mine. And I think that helped it sort of go down easier i don't know (laughs) for me at least i wasn't so much thinking it as of it as time travel in the moment it was more like holy shit like they're going back into the first avengers or they're going back into thor the dark world or like you know like they're movie hopping they're not time traveling but it's the same thing i suppose look einstein was obsessed with time travel (laughs) it's all relative (laughs) it is very much explored in film but I feel like there's two different ways you can go with it as well. Like there's, I'm just going to have fun with it and not really think about the rules a la Bill and Ted. You yeah. Know? But this isn't one of those. This is the other kind that it's like, if you break the rules, bad shit could happen. Yeah. There's paradox and then there's ones without paradox, right? Or yeah. ones with easily resolvable ones. Like, you're, you're right. I feel like there's sort of the, the dangerous time travel and then the sort of more... I don't want to say safe, but let's just say not quite as, I don't know, life-threatening. I mean, I mean, it's dangerous no matter how you dice it. Like, you're going to fuck shit up one way or the other, whether you like it or not, and you just shouldn't do it. Um, but sometimes there's dire consequences, and sometimes there's just consequences. I guess I'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about some of our uh, favorite moments and, 
and yeah. scenes. And um, I, I really did want to bring up what you've already said in terms of how this movie opens as simply just an MIT acceptance video. And this guy, our lead here, he's a freaking genius no matter what. I can't believe MIT did not give him that scholarship for, <laughs> for inventing Stark-level technology. Dude. I was thinking the same thing. He ba- it's basically like the tracers that he has in Iron Man three on his suit, right? Like he's yeah. controlling he's controlling the drones with his fingertips, like these little devices on his fingertips. It's a it's incredible. He's like pulling it around. I'm sure they have this technology now. You know, it's what seven years, eight years later, or something like that. This was a good. This was cool though. Like yeah, maybe at first I was like, this kid's maybe too much of a genius, but. When you find out about like his dad and all that kind of stuff, you sort of feel like maybe there's some inherent genius sort of handed down or something like that. Yeah, but you're that, right, that, man. That if we're be. running MIT, this guy's getting a full ride for sure, for sure. Like, and what world do we live in where this guy just gets like whatever five thousand dollars or something? Because, I mean, what did the other people invent? That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, he's up against like Peter Parker. I guess <laughs> who invented web fluid, so maybe that's what he turned in. I mean, but this is equal to. I mean, look, I guess the fluid, yeah, web fluid would probably earn Peter Parker a Nobel Prize. Let's be honest. So because... I, I think what they should have done, and maybe what they were trying to kind of get at, is that he like overreached with this project in a way, you know, because it it ends up malfunctioning. It goes out of range, and he and it gets destroyed, and so the end of his video is sort of like. Uh, a bummer it should have caused harm right like the drone should have like attacked one of his friends and he wound up with like a broken arm i'm sure maybe he wouldn't have sent that to mit but he's a dumb teenager maybe he did maybe at the end they're all waving and being like no one got seriously hurt you know and then they're like well we can't accept you because you like injure somebody with your technology or something who knows point is though this is a smart dude and his friends are smart dudes too even quinn i know he's not like engaged in that science class later and we'll talk about that but he's still a smart guy like just to even understand some of the concepts here is is he david smart no but he's still like you know what i mean like he hangs out with the other nerds he's not it's not like it's the football jock or something yeah they're all really book smart like what's going on here is they're a bunch of like social outcasts like they only are friends with each other they only hang out with each other they only like know each other's references one of them's going to even end up dating the guy's sister because they don't know any other girls <laughs> you know like... <laughs> i think she was the most or the i'll say the least believable character to be in this clique like yeah i get that she's his sister and you said you went to high school with your sister, right? Like, uh, yeah. Were yeah. you palling around with her like this? No, no way. Like, I've, I don't I've think never she's going to be caught dead <laughs> hanging out with me. <laughs> right? Like, most brothers and sisters that I knew went to high school together. Not that they were enemies, but they weren't like, oh, let's hang out and, and we're in the same clique and stuff like that. Maybe things have changed. Who knows? But I don't know. Yeah. We do find out that she's bullied a lot. Like, she isn't cool or popular, even though she's, like, very attractive <laughs> for a high school girl. <laughs> she she gets picked on, like, all the time. And so maybe she doesn't have it, you know? Maybe it's because she's also sort of nerd by proxy because of her geeky brother, like, bad reputation as, you know, as a dweeb or whatever. Like, it just trickled down to her. 
because uh, she does, she is younger, so there could be some kind of like tag along thing too, where it's just like True. I need something to do. And they should have made her though more of a sort of media file. Like she should have been way more into like video tech and things like that, right? Like I feel like we should have seen her like editing some of the tape later or doing something more on that end as well. I think that's one of the negative points of found footage that we, you can't really develop characters that well. You know, we, we can't see a scene of, like, what makes her bullied because it was a little unbelievable. I mean, that's a good argument. The other reason I was thinking, maybe she, she hangs around her brother so much because of, like, the death of her father. And yeah. they've, they've just bonded over this. Who knows? Otherwise, I think she does a really good job. As we kind of progress in the movie, I, yeah, I liked seeing these earlier scenes. But I think everything really kicks into gear with the discovery of his father's old time machine schematic and the yeah. whole the whole building of it uh what'd you think of the whole this process like putting it together having to get the prius engine eventually <laughs> so i wrote in my letterbox review that i feel like um the start of this movie is a little long and the end of this movie is a little short and i feel like it takes them maybe a little too long to build the machine but Damn, I love every second of it. Like, I love the energy when they first find the schematics and stuff, and they know, they sort of know by, like, hearsay and rumor and whisper, like, what they're looking at, and then they all end up sort of putting it together, like, temporal relocator and everything. Like, I love the language used. Uh, It seems really official and scientific, like, they're dropping DARPA's name I knew him best for trying to control the weather when I was a kid. So like them (laughs) trying to create a time machine isn't really outside of the depths of my imagination. They're sort of like, I feel like they're the real area 51. (laughs) I love, I love all this. Um, It's great to get to like the end point where it's basically, they made a time machine out of an Xbox to fit in a backpack. It's like, that's so perfect. Like that's such a great, if you're going to, if you need a modern machine, to make a time machine out of like an xbox is awesome i agree i think that's so cool and i as you say your assessment on the pacing of this film honestly i 100 percent agree with you i think and i'll even take it a step further and i wasn't thinking this while watching but i'm just thinking as we're speaking this and like maybe how to improve the film maybe the found footage isn't a good thing maybe we don't need it because then maybe you can balance the film a little bit more it doesn't have to be like okay why would the camera be there kind of stuff you know? Yeah. And I agree with you. Yes, did I like seeing all this development, but probably could have been accomplished with a montage. Mm-hmm. You, can't do, you can't do that with found footage. Montages well, can't exist. You know what this almost does, and I'm just realizing it now, is it sort of District 9s you in a little bit of a way. Did you see District 9? Way back. And that's the found Neil, footage, Neil right? Blomkamp. So it is up until a point, and then yes. it becomes documentary style, right? So like it tricks you, and it's like, you're watching a found footage movie. Oh, no, you're not. Uh, and I got that vibe, even though that's not what this movie's going for. What it does use more than most found footage films is edits, like their jump cuts left and right. And it doesn't feel like it's someone taking their finger and like stopping the recording. It feels no. like someone in editing, jump cutting and jumping around and stuff. And so after a while, that kind of tricks my brain into thinking I'm watching something that's just shot like Jason Bourne. They almost stop referencing the camera from time to time. Like it, it, they have to really remind me that it's still there from moment to another so i almost like drop that out of my brain that they're still filming a found footage movie and then i do think you're right though like i would love to see the normally shot version of this and then maybe we just cut to some of that footage 
right? Like they're still filming it, but we see the cameraman. And then during the experiment, we can cut to him and what he saw through that lens or something. Yeah, I don't know. Like it works the way it is for now for me, but that might have made it better. Yeah, I think that's a really great idea, actually, Mike. I think that's a really great idea. Like we cut into it at times, but we also could see out of it from time to time. Because I think you can develop character a little bit better like that, that, uh, you know, omnipotent eye of the camera is a little bit better than what they're going to do when the camera's on. There's a couple times when they kind of don't know the camera's on, and, and I get it, but I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think they're trying to also, like, they're trying to stretch it in a way where they're trying to, like, use the love story to cause more coverage right so like the sister is always sort of spying on if his brother's making a move like his friends are always sort of spying on the on on their buddy to see if he's gonna make a move you know what i mean so like that's how you end up getting that stuff the the relationship stuff and it does feel a little bit like peeping tom at that point (laughs) where it's just like you know you could tell it's like a zoomed from across the street like behind a bush and it's just like (laughs) gives off a little bit of a of a creeper vibe. <laughs> Another uh, point I think you kind of are making it about this beginning and it being long, um, I thought as well, because once they do gain that time machine action, I thought he was just going to dart to save his father because the movie had kind of oh. pitched itself so seriously like that. But I'm not saying that that's a good thing. I was so pleasantly surprised with how even these nerds try to do a lot of things that, A, we would all probably try to do with a time machine, and B, that teenagers would definitely do with a time machine. And that was my favorite element of the film. You mentioned one uh, that comes a little later, the Lollapalooza thing, which we'll definitely talk about. But uh, the kid going back to have to pass that test, they all, (laughs) which, which is great that he has to go so many times. And where he ends up actually just studying to do it, which is what he should have done I know. to begin with. <laughs> but they go back to play pranks. They go back to just, you know, get the bullies back. And even them winning the lottery at, at that one point, the main motivation of it was to make sure the mom doesn't sell the house and stuff and so that he can go to MIT, even though they get you know delusions of grandeur with it. And by the way, I thought it was hilarious how they put one number wrong and they only ended yeah. up with that amount. Yeah. Okay, you guys do know that 1.8 million after taxes isn't enough for what you want to do. You should save it. Pay for college. I'm sorry, I thought you just said 1.8. It was uh, 53,876,000 after taxes. You guys only got five out of six numbers. Why did you put 44? Because that's what you put down. That is not what I put down. I put a nine. That is a nine. That's 49, Adam. Are you lying? It's a nine. You have to go back and do it again. Shh. I am not winning the lottery twice. Come on, now, guys. Come on. This is great. It's a million dollars, guys. Are you freaking kidding me? I like that. It was almost like a little touch of fate that w- wouldn't let them win the lottery or some, some kind of course correction that they weren't supposed to go that far with it or something. But I just loved seeing them, again, be kids. So what, what were some of your favorite moments of, uh, I guess, the pre-drama time machine middle? Right. Um, well, definitely, yeah, like, I like the, the 
the concept of him going back to ACES test and it changing, that's a really quick and smart way also to explain some of the rules going on here, that things change every time you go back and do something. It's different. It's just right there in that scene, you know, and it's that little Groundhog's Day part. I like when the very first thing he does when they go back is he writes on himself with marker and it appears on his neck. And (laughs) then he sort of gets stuck in that feedback loop, which is going to come back at the end of the movie to really good effect. Uh, Maybe they could have explored that a little bit better. But like he sees himself in the same room and they sort of start like merging or disappearing or or there can only be one of you in time and space at the same time in space so like that was screwing up oh well real quick i just want to mention like i feel like it's a really smart thing to do also to say like we can only go back so far so like they can only yeah. go back like like a couple hours then they can only go back like a day then a week and eventually he ends up going back like 10 years but that takes like forever to do apparently but like that's why they can't go back and do too much you know like they can't go kill hitler or like some other world leader that would best be, you know, dealt with <laughs> in that way. Uh, like they can only go back and pull pranks or like win the lottery or go to Lollapalooza during their lunch break or during a bathroom break. That is the fucking, that's what sold it to me where I was like, this movie's good, man. This movie's smart and fun. Like they spent an entire day at Lollapalooza during 40 seconds of a bathroom break. Like, I fucking loved that part. Um, That was so cool. And, like, that was, like, total high school wish fulfillment. Like, how many times would you cut class and be like, man, how great would it be to, like, just go to a concert right now or something, (laughs) you know? Just get the fuck out of here. Well, I didn't cut class, Mike. I wasn't in my five dads. Uh, Oh, well, sorry. Yeah. (laughs) You didn't didn't write three songs about it? (laughs) (laughs) But So, Mike, what you're saying to me, though, is my favorite parts of the movie and my least favorite parts of the movie at the same time. Interesting, interesting. I think, going back to the premise of what I said, there's two kinds of time travel movies. I wish they stuck with one or the other. I think if they marketed this film as just like a have fun time travel thing, I think more kids would have watched it and I still would have had a good time rather than the heavy shit. Um, It kind of sets it up heavy. Mm -hmm. Then it gets fun in the middle. And then it ends heavy again, you know? Yeah. I I think there was a little unevenness there, but you're absolutely right. And I didn't expect it here, but there's so much like kid wish fulfillment here of just being able to fuck with the bullies like that or, or, uh, you know, the concert thing is just so amazing. And it's not just that we, that they're there for 40 seconds, but they're really there for a full day. There is a significant part of the movie that's at this concert in time wise (laughs) as well. Right now. We are backstage right now. I can't believe you. 
But I thought it was cool because it was very teenage. I think some of the criticism of this film was directed to stuff like that. The pacing and the shakiness, yes, but the silliness. But to me, I was drawn into it because I've watched these films. So many of these films, you know. (laughs) So I enjoyed the awkwardness of the kids. And that felt real to me, especially again at this concert. I almost forgot it was a time travel movie. Yeah, and you would think in the generation of ADHD that this would fly better, right? Like the movie stopped to become a concert for 20 minutes or, well, maybe not 20, but like at least five to ten minutes like we're there and they're they're actually there filming and stuff like that's a lot of fun to see too yeah i don't know it's funny when you said earlier they're like the two types of time travel movies i thought you meant like there's ones where like you can change the past and there's ones where it's always been written and the ones where it's always i don't know the ones where it's always been written seems to be the ones that are a lot more serious and this is the one where you can change the past and you're supposed to have fun and everything but then again it's the butterfly effect right and like at some point, things have to, like, as soon as that ball keeps going, again, it's almost like the monkey paw where everything seems great. Time travel's like the ultimate wish fulfillment. And then, like, the bad side starts to come along where it's like, sure, I got the girl, but my friend ended up in the hospital. Or, like, my friend's dad crashed a plane. You know, like, it's the, they try and do it with the ripple effect, but it's been known as the butterfly effect. And there's a, what I thought was going to be a very fun and turned out to be an extremely heavy movie called The Butterfly Effect with uh, Mrs. Demi Moore at the time. What was Ashton Kushner. That's it. The pranker. Talking about, pr- talking about pranks. Punk. Prank. Yeah, you've been pranked. Punked. Too much tuna. <laughs> um, and so this one, I feel like it's one of those where you can change everything right and uh it, it gets to a point where he has to go back and change everything right it, it becomes like a reset button kind of thing so i i hear what you're saying like it it loses its fun uh at some point maybe yeah because you mentioned project x before and that's just like a uh crazy crazy party thing i think you could have still had some of the elements of time travel in here. I'm not saying just make it like, uh, you know, a crazy party that they go to and then they just have a good time and then they go back and, and everything's okay or they have to solve everything in the last five minutes. And it doesn't need to be a Bill and Ted. I like the sci-fi elements. But, the, you know, we go from like love and relationships and and pranks and checking out girls, as you said before, to holy shit, dead father, people are dying, plane crashes there's crime and robbery you know it's like oh my god it turns into a dystopia (laughs) well it's fine first i just want to say like when you mentioned the party if they just kept going back to the same party the whole movie to get things right that would have been a great high school time travel party movie (laughs) honestly that's an amazing idea write that down because that's really cool right but i think what and why why things start going to hell is because um the main guy david ends up jumping alone they make this pact that they will all jump together and therefore they will have a record like they will have this collective memory of what's happened in case there's been drastic changes and as soon as he starts going alone to basically become a pervert right and creep on his best girlfriend like he had this moment at at Lollapalooza where he could have gone in for the kiss and it was right there and he missed it so he wants to go back and he wants to kiss her and he does that like a creep instead of trying to create a new moment you know what i mean like you you got to build back up to that in the real world so like he cut the he broke the rules he cut the line and i think that that's the movie saying since he broke the rules like the rules of time travel are starting to go bad now like you can't jump alone you can't use this for personal gain and and that kind of pleasure thing and like creeping on your girl and stuff like 
You know what I'm saying? Like, now you're wanted for her murder, basically, by the end of the movie, right? When she goes missing, it's all on you. And then that's when it becomes, like, super heavy duty is when he starts jumping alone, coming back, trying to fix it himself, fucking up again. His friends are getting fucked up. Like, everyone's, you know, it's the worst timeline, basically. I, and I get it, and I totally get that. And I like that there's consequences to his actions. And I think when he does that creeping thing, I probably would have done that as a teenager. I'm not proud of it, but like, I've been in those situations with girls back in the day where you're like, "Oh man, I should have asked her out," and I didn't. Uh, and hey, like, that's one of the most like real moments of the movie. It's like it felt so real. <laughs> like everybody's been in that position. <laughs> absolutely. So like, I could totally relate to that. I think, like you said, anyone can. And probably we would have said that in our bed at night. Oh my God, if I could just, if I just had a time machine and if I could go back in time to that moment, I would change everything and we'd fall in love, this and that, you know? But at the same time, did the consequences have to be 77 people dying in a plane crash? (laughs) (laughs) Like one person dying would have been like, I'm not saying good, but like that would be understandable. No, I hear what you mean. Like, yeah, can his mom just lose her job or can't like he, yeah, I I know what you're saying. Like something about like maybe a bad grade or or a car. I mean, it's got to be, it's got to be something that matches because now, now it's like not real for the rest of the movie to the point where this is all like, we're off the rails as far as we're not even really following our time travel rules it's it's all just become like a metaphor for like don't use it for personal gain it's going to cause issues you know what i'm saying like everything was fine when you guys were just partying but now that you're trying to actually like fuck with someone someone's life you know and like lie to them and all that kind of thing it almost just feels like the universe course correcting itself saying like all of this pleasure that you're experiencing needs to be balanced by like horror or something i don't know yes is like a 9/11 like equal to going back to kiss a girl? No. But but it's a movie and they have to sort of like, you know, say a lot in a very small amount of time and we're running out of time very fast in this time travel movie. Yeah, because it is rather long. I think it's an hour and 40 something minutes. It it is very late too when this all starts happening. Yes. At, when she sort of uh well, when he starts going back to fix things himself, uh, he accidentally brings uh, his girlfriend. Now Jesse is now his girlfriend, and he accidentally brings her back. So now she's like double displaced in time, and then she runs into her past self. So they start like a feedback loop, and then they just both vanish. That gave me goosebumps. David, Jesse, you have what to did stop you talking. You're being too loud. People are gonna hear. I don't what care if people can hear me. You have to tell me what did you change? Hallelujah. Before the world ends? That's why you and I... Just listen. Listen to me. I didn't mean for this to happen. After everything, you're just a liar. Just... I understand how this could feel. You have no idea how this feels! You played me! Like I was just some idiot that would just fall for your trick or something! Stop it! There's no other way that I could have got you. It was just... You didn't care that it was dangerous? That, that all of your friends could be hurt? We had this real connection. I knew it, and I just went back, and I want another chance, and I... And I, I was the person that I should have been. How That's do I know I that you're been. telling me the truth? I... How do I know that this hasn't already happened before? Twice before? How do I know that? No. Jesus, David. I mean, 
Did you ever stop to think that maybe I've liked you since the first time I met you? No, I didn't. Well, you know what I would have done? If I was as smart as you, if I could have built a time machine? I would have used it so I could go back and meet you sooner. I don't know. There's just, I felt that was a really well done moment again. There's like no time left. There, you're exactly. right. There's like 10 minutes left now. <laughs> exactly. And I thought that should have just been the major consequence that he loses his, the girl he loves, like not, you know, a plane crash of people dying. So, but again, I don't yeah. want to cr- criticize it too much, but I think you said something earlier that I was like, oh shit, I totally agree with that. How the ending is a bit rushed and not just with Jesse and stuff. The whole time we're teased about his dad and what happened at the, this party. And, um, it, you know, it reminded me of a... Have you seen this time travel film from the year 2000, Frequency with Dennis Quaid? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yep, yep. You know, that he's trying to go back to his dad as well. So that was, like, on the serious... And he gets there. Yeah. And he gets there. And, like, that's something um, on a serious note. I'm like, wow, this is big moment in his life, big moment here. He's clearly been there because he's seeing this uh, footage of it, which is again, a recurring theme, not just on today's episode, but in the film. And when he does arrive there, that's done so fast. And the dad like recognizes him right away. There's no convincing that needs to be done. And it's just like, all right, bad things happen in the future. I can't explain why. Get rid of everything. Die, yeah. essentially, just so bad things don't happen in the future. It's like, okay. You know? What are you doing in my house? Damon? Hi. Hi, Dad. You figured, figured it out. I've got so many questions. I can't. I can't. We were wrong. There are are no second chances. Are you you okay? I'm going to be okay. I wished... Again, maybe there's a lot of movies here and maybe they don't all connect, but I wish I understood more what was going on at that moment, if that makes sense. Yeah, yes, it does to that in just a second. But I think one of the things you lose when it comes to foul footage is you're locked in like a point of view, right? So no matter, and that's whoever's holding the camera. And so I think if this were done in as a more traditional, conventional movie, we'd be able to cut the scenes and get those answers um, that we all, that we want or need to fill in kind of some of these blanks or gaps that might be necessary. Like we could cut to DARPA saying we've had a hit, like the device has been activated, like, and then maybe the feds are after the kids at some point, And then they have to keep time jumping away from them. Um, I personally think that uh, Jesse should have disappeared at the one hour mark, not the hour and like 25 minute mark. Like she needs to go way earlier and he needs to be on the run and maybe even captured. Like 
he, you know, there's sort of like this little bit of a race for him to find the hydrogen to fuel the machine one more time to make the last jump. But that needs, that machine needs to like get taken away from him, maybe even destroyed. Like one of his friends maybe could help break him out or something. You know, like I feel like the movie's just getting going when it's about to end. And then we jump to the day of his seventh birthday. And I kind of feel like this is what knocks off like a star for me is there's no resolution with the dad and i was like this is this is sort of the whole catalyst was he found this video of himself at his seventh birthday party in his dad's camcorder and he saw himself as a teenager in the mirror at his seventh birthday and he's like how the fuck does this happen and the chain of events we just watched is exactly what led him there but once he gets there it's like a zero reunion we get nothing it's exactly like you said his dad instantly recognizes it's his son from the future his son instantly convinces him time travel is naughty like not to do this <laughs> his dad gets some mysterious phone call and dies in a car crash see like i feel like that's some sinister shit that never got explained a lot of this could just be due to the speed in which this movie was made written uh, produced all this. I know there's a couple multiple endings, uh, cut endings, but none of them have to do with this. It's all after he gets back and finds the tape again. So I was really bummed that we did not get a little more going on. Like if the dad mentioning like he, he like maybe this was not the first time that you've shown up. Like maybe that was you on the phone, you know, like maybe it was him crashing into the car. I don't know, but I agree. Like the movie definitely kind of didn't know what to do with itself right here at the end. And I don't exactly know what to do with it either, but I definitely know that this is not a good enough sort of father-son resolution. No, no. And I think you hit the nail on the head, Mike. I think if we are to believe that this is kind of a rush production, this is probably why. I, I didn't, again, There's not enough scholarship. I don't know about the reshoots. I don't know anything about that. I don't know the original thing. And even, like you said, there are alternate endings, which are only slightly alternate and I don't really yeah. understand <laughs> and have nothing to do with this. When I uh, looked up the alternate ending, I was like, oh, it's probably like the stuff with the dad, you know? Or maybe he gets stuck in time. Maybe he's the one who killed his dad. I think it's Terminator 2 where like Sarah Connor has to kill the guy who's inventing Skynet. She doesn't, but you know, I thought maybe like it was something like that, something dark, but no. Miles Dyson. Yes. Miles Dyson. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we've done a good job of referencing a lot of uh, time travel time films. Time travel stuff, yeah. <laughs> on this podcast. But you're, you're absolutely right. This ending here was super uneven, a little confusing. They just did not, in the end of the day, know what kind of film they wanted to make. Did they want to make a teen party film that had to do with time travel? Did they want to make a dark, sinister or even like a Final Destination style time travel film? Do they want to make this father-son story? Yeah. It's a hodgepodge of it, but it sounds like I'm being very negative. I'm not trying to be because there was a lot of great stuff in here. There's a lot of good nuggets. I wish they took their time and kind of developed something because you probably could have had something that was pretty special if they did that. If I was watching this as a... 16 year old i'd fucking love this movie you know i'd have i'd have loved it like as a science fiction fan as like sort of an outsider in high school to a degree like yeah this would have pushed all my buttons now lots of movies drop the ball in the end you know and that's perfectly fine and they get away with it and i feel like this movie kind of deserves a pass because that's not the end of the end that part is very sort of obtuse and confusing and you know maybe they were going for something more like that more esoteric like he's burning what looks like 
he's burning his time machine, but there's still a time machine buried in the basement, right? So, like, as he's burning his time machine, he starts to, like, fade away from existence, and ultimately David just blinks. Though David, we've been following the whole movie, blinks out of existence. And then we pick up, sort of wrap back around to him in the attic looking through his dad's old stuff, and they find the camera again, but then they find two cameras. So it's like this relic from the previous timeline. So they start watching that video and it's a video of them finding the video camera <laughs> and now they know now they're like back on the loop you know that's the way i took it is like it's reset and they're gonna do all this all over again it might be different but they are gonna make a time machine he goes up to the girl at the end and he says something to the effect of like we're going on an adventure or something like that and the movie ends and like he's full of confidence and shit and stuff so like I like that, and I think that's a fine ending, the idea that they're going to go on another trip, like this is all starting again for them, and it's very sci-fi in that they may be doing this forever, like they may be teenagers stuck in a teenage party time loop until the end of days, <laughs> I don't know, I kind of, that was my reading anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's very clever in that respect, so yes, the ending ending, I enjoyed I like the fact that he went and he did all that and probably solved nothing. I don't know. Maybe maybe this is the sixth or seventh time he's done this and he doesn't even realize. You know? Yeah. We yeah. don't know. Like you said, it might be a loop. That that's very possible as well. Again, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but we'll see. We'll see. I suppose. I just thought it was funny. Or we won't see. There's not going to be a Project Almanac 2. But <laughs> in theory, we'll see. But I just thought it was really funny that him and his sister sat down and watched the entire film that we watched right now, <laughs> essentially. And we're just like, yeah, but that's not going to happen to us. Let's do it anyway. Well, or now they know what not to do and what to do. You know, that's the way I took it was like, they're going to build it faster. They're going to do other things differently. They know the outcome to certain experiments already. They have like an entire handbook now, basically. Yes, but to me, that's like a, a teenager watching a D.A.R.E. video. And it's like, oh, don't do drugs. This will happen. Or, <laughs> or, we'll bring it there. We'll say like, oh. Don't drink alcohol and drive. This will happen. So I'll be like, okay, well, now I know that I don't drink this amount, but I'll be okay with that amount, you know? Like, <laughs> But if it's to believe that they watch, they sit down and the entire movie's on that tape, then they know that, like, if he goes back to kiss, if he doesn't kiss her the first time, he's going to cause 77 people, or he's going to cause a huge plane crash, you know? So, like, they'll be able to avert disaster now, and they could play the right number at the lottery. And, like, I don't know. That's where my mind started going. We'll go back to the butterfly effect, though, Ashton Kutcher style again. <laughs> That's just one thing that affected the fate of the world, you know? Let's say they replay the lottery and they win, and they're all, you know, multimillionaires. They drop out of school and they do different things, or, you know, even buying, instead of that Maserati, he buys 10 Maseratis. That guy gets promoted, divorces his wife. The divorced wife, you know, is depressed and she shoot somebody and that you know what i'm saying like we don't know <laughs> brian brian never creates high school slumber party podcast yeah. i see where the i see where it ends yeah and no, i hear you and that's the worst timeline or maybe the best timeline for I mean, me i don't know <laughs> i mean that's what i love so much about time travel is the temptation is like what they should do is nothing like they should burn the tape but you can't burn the tape you have to you know like who does that like exactly. where's not not even the fun, but like isn't that what it means to be like a human is to see if that's true or not or something you know to get to the bottom of it or or explore the notion I don't know I just feel like 
it would be really hard not to, knowing what happened not to try and do that again not to be like well if they did it oh, if that's sure. me then, oh. then I then it's definitely me then I'm doing that you know that's one thing for sure I I don't think any you know especially not a teenager would see that temptation and just be like oh well you know what it's left you know let's just put it in the Indiana Jones vault and not pay attention to that <laughs> no but you're totally right like it is jackass 101 where it's like Look at these idiots! Like now, let's go do it. Or like, <laughs> smoking is bad. Watch me just smoke this whole pack in half an hour. <laughs> oh man! Oh man! It, it's so true. But that's like again, that's keeping it in the like the whole teen zone. I just want to come back to that one last time. Is like, if not for nothing, like this felt like such a teen-driven movie. Like they acted like them, they talked like him, they walked like them. They sort of represent like a swath of the different versions you get at at a, uh, or at least like a very um, sort of suburban, well-to-do, upper-middle-class high school community. But yeah, like it's if you're looking for something like they almost are like this modern sort of John Hughes sort of thing, right? Where they try and get like a little bit of each for the click to put it together, kind of thing. I don't know where I'm going with that, but I guess what I'm saying is like I feel like they all did really good. This movie, you know, if if you don't like it, I don't think it's them. I think it's more of like the found footageness, or you're not into time travel, or you're, you don't want like loud banging noises. Even though the, <laughs> the sound design, even though the sound design in this is fucking awesome, uh, lots of great sound design, lots of cool effects and stuff. We didn't even mention as you brought up sound that it, it's got a cool hip 2014 2015 soundtrack, and they're, they're at Lollapalooza. <laughs> they hang out with like Imagine Dragons and these other <laughs> bands of the era, which I guess that lends to the MTV production nature of it. And definitely, oh, yeah. like, the fact that they wanted to bring in teens. It didn't have a... Which I thought was funny. And not a bad thing. It didn't have, like, that typical, like, time travel sci-fi network score in the background. A mm, lot of, yeah. a lot of things were kind of scored, quote-unquote, by, uh, again, Imagine Dragons songs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. This isn't, this isn't, like, the reverse instruments in Tenet or anything like yeah. that that's like the actual soundtrack playing in reverse or something like that and there's your music uh, <laughs> but it's funny you mentioned all I recognized every one of these songs but I could not tell you any of the artists like that's my age uh, that's where that's where I stood oh, but okay, I did I'm with you I'm with you like, <laughs> I, I just knew it was Imagine Dragons because I like uh, Shazammed oh another Deep cut, hey. deep cut to Mike Manzi's appearances on this podcast. But uh, I just Shazam. I'm like, oh, I know that song. I'm like, oh, yeah. I, I was like, I think that's Imagine Dragons. Because <laughs> I wasn't necessarily into these bands in that era. But I think it's good music. I'm not against the music. I'm like, oh, fuck this. But no, I, yeah. I'm with you. Like, I didn't know. Like, I'd heard it, but I didn't know it. But I'm assuming someone in high school listening to the soundtrack at the time would be like, oh, shit, they have Imagine Dragons. And they're going to all lose well, that's also, I feel like, Michael Bay, where he, he needs to stay current, hip, and young. And <laughs> that is he, true. And he does, you know, for, you know, as much as I joke about the guy, like, he does have his finger on the pulse, you know? Like, he is one of those guys, like... But I was sort of more impressed with all of the buzzing and whizzing and whirling of the machinery and everything like that. Like, I feel like they got some really new, interesting, and creative sound effects that you that just aren't these stock sound effects that you hear, not only in, like science fiction movies but like in any action movie or even in like star wars and stuff um like everything sounded really cool and original and i liked when the screen warped and i liked 
you know, like the magnetism effect, I guess I'll call it. Like everything becomes magnetized and floats in the air and, and creates like whirlpools in their cups of water. And like that, that was very effective. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I did notice that too. And it's something I never usually notice. So, uh, you know, if, if I notice it and it's good, it has to say something. <laughs> like there's like a constant like humming to that box whenever it's on and they're just sort of near it it just gets kind of like a little bit louder whenever it's sort of near organic material i guess i don't know but i was just really vibing on that yeah and just you know seeing the stuff float there and like the sound that the whole thing would make was really cool anything else in the movie that you wanted to note or should we uh get to our awards uh yeah this is this like the most amazing movie ever no is it the best time travel movie in the world no is it even the best found footage movie in the world no but like i feel like it takes all of those elements and puts them together really well it's a little long like i said it it takes its time maybe a little too much up front and and it really speeds through the end but it sells me with everything going on in the middle there you know and i really like the assembling the machine i really like the partying through time kind of stuff um or just like that one time um but just (laughs) uh going back and like acing his test like all the fun stuff that they ended up doing with it and and i think for what it is it is really really clever like they gave itself a lot of roadblocks right like it told itself like you can't go that far back so you can't do anything too significant and stuff so yeah i think for what it is like it it doesn't really get a fair shake and and uh yeah i liked it a lot so mike you are the first person to ever uh, give out a new award on High School Slumber Party. So Ooh. consider yourself lucky as uh, it just added for 2021. Oh, he's got to shake things up here, and you're the first movie guest on 2021. It's, it's an award you heard of, and it's something that I know other podcasts do, and I've wanted to incorporate it for a while. But we're calling ours most likely to succeed. That's an award for... The character in this film who you think is essentially best positioned going forward. Like some other podcasts I've heard will say, like, who won the movie? Who's the MVP? Think of it like that. Okay, so Quinn is the MVP. Sam Lerner, he's, he unfortunately is like nowhere in the last like 20 minutes of this movie, (laughs) but he's, he is great. I think he shows up at one point, but like, no, I love, I love his character. I love his arc. I love when he comes in and he aces the test. Like a lot of his character feels like it, like, I don't feel like he's really playing too much of a character. Like, it seems like that's how that dude really acts, (laughs) you know? And like, that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that as a bad thing. I'm saying like, he really kind of came through in that character. So Quinn, kind of a surprising choice, not one of our leads, but I tend to agree with you. How about uh, a scene that would, ooh, really, really, really uh, appeal to our mutual friend, the foodie films man himself, Kyle Reinfried, when he just buys Mm. the army of food trucks for lunch yes. for the cafe or for uh, for the lunch for his high school instead of cafeteria food. How great was that? I was like, oh my god, that's awesome. So I love that too because they start chanting his name and it's the wrong name. He just goes with it anyway, right? <laughs> even his friend, like even the lead of the movie, who I thought was gonna be like, Oh Quinn, you know, what are you doing? kind of thing. But he was even getting into it. So I'm like, you know what? I would too. That was a pretty awesome thing to do. That would make anyone popular at a high school or anywhere, really. Yeah, I like that our main character wasn't a drip, right? Like, he was a geeky science kid, but he also knew how to have fun. And, like, he took risks. Like, I had a friend like that in high school, too, who was, like, 
super smart, but also did like a lot of stupid shit, <laughs> you know, just because he was kind of smart enough to get away with it, I guess. But like he would really kind of like push it from time to time. Uh, and so like I kind of like that about him, too, is where it was like he didn't he didn't play the background, you know, like he was very sort of proactive to, to get going. For sure. All right. You know, this award, Wooderson Award. Might be the same guy, might be someone different, but is there a character who you would have liked to see more of in Project Almanac? Well, I think the sister, Christina, needed to be in front of the camera a bit more and uh, probably fleshed out. Like I said earlier, like it would have been cool to go in her room and see that she's got tons of cameras or videos or things and stuff like that. Or, you know, it would have been something if they didn't find the entire video camera, if they just found like a bunch of his dad's old tapes and one was marked, you know, Mark's seventh birthday, and they just sit down and watch that, and that way she could have always just sort of had the cameras. and Little things like that, you know? Those are just what you get with more time, is to punch it up in different areas. But this movie moves at warp speed, so, like, when you're watching it, none of this shit is coming into my mind. This is all way after. For sure. I think that's a good call, too. Her brother's a genius. It carries her from the father. I would have liked to have seen her get a little bit more genius as well. And I think film would be a perfect medium for it. And you're right. Like, let's assume maybe that the film we're watching is her editing a bunch of footage together that she found. I think that's a great, cool thing that could have existed. So, yeah, I do, I do like that pick. So we get one shot in this, which I don't think, I think I've only seen in one other found footage movie of someone assembling the found footage they found or they shot. And, and there's like one shot where there's literally like three shots of the same shot in the shot where it's like, it's like on the computer, on like the camera heads up display, and then like on another media yeah. thing or something. Like it's all right there. That is interesting. That's cool. All right, Long Duck Dong Award. Is there a character whose omission would make the film better? Would you delete anyone from the film? Mm. Did anyone feel feel like extra or just not necessary? I don't know. I wonder if they could have made this movie without the dead dad stuff. Like, not without it, but, like, making it not be so much about going back to save him at all. Like, make that not even a part of it, right? Make it Make this about fixing it some other way because like we said when he gets back there it's not like he does anything like all he really needs to be able to do is jump back far enough for him not to travel through time the first time so they could have ended it like that maybe with a battle with himself or something so it's hard to I mean I don't want to say because he's not in the movie already get rid of the dad character but I feel like there's some way where he could have been even like less important if that's like maybe if he is just missing and not dead like maybe if he just like left and they don't know that he died, and maybe that's when he went back in time, he found out that his dad died, he didn't just leave him, like, and abandon him. There you go. There's that answer, I think, right? It's like, the whole time he thinks his dad left, but he finds out at the end, through time travel, that his dad died, and maybe his dad ends up dying, protecting him from DARPA. I don't know, but, like, (laughs) I'm starting to sort of see through the cracks a little more, and, uh, yeah, I don't know if that's a, you know, a solid answer or anything like that, but, um, that's just sort of where my what my brain's doing. See, I don't hate the dad stuff, but I think they there's like three different big things here, and if you eliminate one of them, any one of them, the film will probably be better. Even though I like all three things, like I think there's the whole romance with the girl. I, I I like it. It's weird, but I like it. It's very teenager. I love the partying thing in the middle. I love the fact that they're kids and the things they do with it. And I do like the dark time travel element of finding his dad and seeing what happens. But it's an hour, 40-something minutes. I don't think you have, especially in this style, I don't think you have 
su- sufficient time to flesh out all three of these main story beats. So eliminating any one of them to me would have probably made the film stronger. Yeah, and especially since two of them are sort of interconnected. Like, the girl and the partying, or the time traveling and the getting laid is all, like, part of the one. And yeah. then there's the... Da- and, it, and it starts as, like, let's figure out why I'm at my seventh birthday. It's never really about going back to stop my dad from getting into a car accident. I mean, he stops some jock from getting hit by a car before he goes back to see his dad's life. Like, he could have waited outside of that house to talk to his dad and say, don't get in that car or get in the car instead and get killed in the car crash that way. And then his dad lives and he dies by time traveling back as a 17 year old to take his place. I'm just saying like, for me, I'd rather just get rid of all of that shit, you know, and mm-hmm. try and come up with something a little cleaner. I mean, it's fair. So Cameron Fry Award, did anyone look too old to be a high schooler? There's so little of them here. We know the main guy is 26, but you already said he did a good job at it. So was there any I can't here? believe... I can't believe that dude is that old. Like, that blows my mind. Maybe I went to high school with some old-looking kids? It was only the no. 90s. I don't think so. <laughs> but I agree with you. I agree with you. He he had the awkwardness of a teenager. I don't think he looked that old. That could be it, man. It could just be like, let's give him a really short haircut, put these glasses on him, and, and the rest is acting. Like, he just is in that, in that character. So we're going to leave this one blank? I think so. All right. So you alluded to this at the beginning of the episode. Critics did not like this film. 36%. On Rotten Tomatoes, forty-five percent by the audience. And uh, from watching all the twenty twenty teen films at the end of the year, I realized that maybe Rotten Tomatoes. I know we don't even like it here, but maybe it's not a fair assessment because <laughs> you're just measuring thumbs up, thumbs down. You're not really measuring what people think. So we'll bring the nerds in it this year, unless people ad- object. We'll we'll discuss the Letterbox score, and it's two point eight. Yay! It's two point eight on Letterbox, which is oh no. But that's not that bad, I was thinking. That's a, a two, yeah, because two and a half is average. That's what I give a movie that I feel is just like passable, two and a half stars, right? Like, that's half of five. It's definitely better than the 36% perception on Rotten Tomatoes. So, do I think it's better than 2.8? Yes. But 36% implies it's like a failure of a film. And I don't think it's that either. So, 2.8, again. It is what it is, but we'll throw all that away, Mike, because you have the red pen. I'm handing you the the report card. (laughs) A to F scale. What will you grade Project Almanac? So, no more A's. I came on here and just, like, went slap happy as a substitute, (laughs) giving everybody A's. So, I'm going to just honestly, I mean, I feel like I like this more than most people that have watched this movie, but that's just because, like, I'm such a sucker for time travel. And as much as I love it, like, it's still got problems. Like, we talked about the issues and things. Uh, I'm going to give this one a B. It's just a straight-up solid B, because I feel like while it has the right more than other movies to be a found footage film, I feel like it might work and be more interesting as a non-found footage film. (laughs) Um, You know, and, like, we cut to some of that footage every once in a while and this and that kind of thing. And then just some things, like, even though... It is kind of long. It does sort of just like go by real quick. It does have sort of, uh, it's a little lopsided. I won't say it has like pacing issues. Issues. I'll just say it's lopsided, you know, that kind of thing. Like I, I would like the stuff at the end to happen a lot sooner and things. And so when I start to kind of do that with a movie, it, it sort of slips grades here and there and stuff. So again, though, it'd be a solid B, you know, he's passing chemistry. <laughs> And I think that's pretty fair. I actually gave it a B-. I saw it, though, as, like, getting an 80 on the test, you know? 
Like, yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe one point away from a C plus, but a B minus. It has some really great ideas. Is it A work? No, but I think there's the potential for A work here. But I'm also not calling the parents home and saying like, "Hey, listen, I think you have a bright student, but nothing makes sense that they're turning in." No, <laughs> it's a B minus, and a lot of people in high school will be. More than satisfied with a B minus, that's for sure. I was, I hell, sure as hell was, but, but that's good too. That, that to me feels like an A coming from you. No, you know, just from what you were sort of saying earlier about not really watching a lot of found footage films, kind of thinking that they're mostly like horror stuff, and then this kind of maybe catching you a little off guard, perhaps something like that. Even I don't know, and like the all the 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 such high schoolness of it as well, you know, those yeah, kinds I mean, of things. That's what probably got me that B minus score. That's what like gave the points to me, the high schoolness and their instincts to use time travel for the most like immature high school stuff. And and that's what won it for me. Yeah, they basically the first thing they did, but they couldn't do because of the rating was go back and draw a dick on the guy's face. Like, <laughs> I'm gonna go back and draw one on my own face. <laughs> Yeah, if this was an R-rated movie, they would have drawn the dick on on the face or, like, the neck or whatever. Oh, they, yeah, they'd be way more boobs. <laughs> way more boobs. They would have been tripping on Molly at the festival, you know. Oh, right, yeah, totally, totally. But it wasn't, so it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, there would have been murder, and... <laughs> I mean, they already murdered, like, a plane full of people, technically, like, theoretically. <laughs> no, Denzel Washington did, apparently. Well, oh, is that what happened? I haven't seen that one. No, I don't think that's what happens. Oh, I actually don't okay. remember, but because whatever. <laughs> Anyone who's seen Flight, let us know. Okay. Oh no, he saves him, but he was drunk at the time. That's it. He does like a three sixty loop, not a loop de loop, but he does like a upside down thing where he makes the entire jet go upside down for a minute, and then he writes. He just has to straighten it out, but he saves everybody. He pulls like a Sully, I think. It's a yeah, fictional gonna, thing. I was going to say, isn't stuff. that the plot of Sully? Yeah, I, Sully never went upside down, though. He does like a full Maverick, like a, a you know, like an inverted kind of thing. No, and he wasn't drunk J- either. It, yeah, exactly. And he was a real guy. <laughs> Tom Hanks. Um, <laughs> hashtag Hanks for the memories. Okay, Mike, Project Almanac sleeping bag. What does it look like? Oh, I, um, boy, that's, I don't know. They don't do much sleeping in this one there's not a lot to really graft onto as far as like um as far as things to make into a sleeping bag by the way uh, like just a little quick thing mm. like i thought the backpacks that they trade are the most boring backpacks in existence oh also you you mean to tell me that okay so i i'd seen this movie before and i definitely remembered a scene that didn't happen and that scene was him going back to switch the backpacks so that he had to run into her so oh. that she became part of the group. So it was sort of like that thing that the constant, if you will, right, was that he always had to go back because he switched the backpacks to get her to talk to each other and this and that. And that. But that that didn't happen. Nope. They legitimately <laughs> have exactly looking backpacks because they both shop at Anthropology, and <laughs> that was fucking weird. I gotta say. Yeah, now that you put that in my head, I'm like, oh, that would have been cool. <laughs> Dude, I swear the very first time they go back and they're like, let's see if this works. I thought that was the scene where they switched the backpack, but it's the scene where he goes to do his chemistry test. I was so fucked. 
This is so weird. Any ideas, though, on the backpack? It's a tough one. Oh, right. Okay, so so I'm going to actually bring a giant backpack as my sleeping oh, bag. Oh, sorry, sleeping because, bag, yeah. I, I said yeah, because they, they stuffed their Xbox time machine into a backpack. I'm going to stuff myself into a gigantic backpack-looking sleeping bag. I like it. I like it. That's cool. Because the backpack is sort of like the gimmick, like the thing. If you're going to cosplay as the lead character, you just, you got the backpack, you're real sweaty. Uh, you got, oh, I thought the iPhone with the targeting thing on it, like that, that's a little cooler than Tony Stark's wrist bracelet things, the GPS, yeah. the time GPS. Yeah. Like that was really cool to have like on the iPhone. Uh, um, I'm sure you could like buy that app when the movie was out to like, you know, just <laughs> as like a fake app or something, but yeah. Mine would look like a. VIP backstage pass to Lollapalooza. Oh, nice. You get him for like five bucks, like three months later. Which I know, like, <laughs> I'm not a huge concert guy or especially not a festival guy, too many crowds, but I could imagine being a teenager and seeing that and, be, you know, that's one of those things like, oh, that would be so sick. You know, like, if you could just buy yeah. something, you know, the past five dollars on ebay then go to the concert you know it is a really cool concept yeah i would have probably gone back during the speculation period of comic books and gotten like a bunch of comics and like done stuff like real boring like investments and things like that uh but that is cool like i yeah i like that it's funny because like you know what it is the funny thing about backstage i never had a backstage pass because i i've been to i've been to Lollapalooza's. like i was at Lollapalooza like number two and two three and four or maybe three and four i can't remember exactly but most of the shows i'd go to would be at like venues so like if you wanted to get on stage you could get on stage at some point you know you didn't like need a backstage pass like you'd get kicked off stage of course like very quickly but i'm saying i never and it was never in one of those um sort of venues where backstage passes were like around all that much would have been cool if it was though yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's totally like a festival thing, and I don't know. I, I imagine it's more appealing to a teenager who's into Lollapalooza, so yeah, I mean, but it was cool, and I like the idea of it, and it was my favorite moments and scenes in this part, so bravo for them. All right, Mike, for the first time in 2021. Oh my god. We are in the magical, wonderful blockbuster that is also a time machine, because it has every yes. film that has ever existed up until this point. We're at the counter, and even though oh, even though it's the same sale every week, I'm surprised <laughs> to see that it's Rent Two Movies Get One Free. We know we're watching Project Almanac tonight. What other two films are we watching, Mike? Oh man, I I labored over this one for a while. Like, are we watching this first? I feel like this is gonna <laughs> take the wind out of some of the uh, ideas I had for this sleepover. Um, okay, so. The first movie I'm going to go with is a movie I mentioned way earlier. It's another teenage found footage film, Chronicle. The reason I mention it, I think it's a good movie, but I think it's interesting because it's sort of created by two toxic personalities, right? So it's it's Josh Trank and Max Landis made this movie. Oh, really? Uh, I didn't by, know that. Yeah, so Max Landis wrote it, Josh Trank directed it, um, and so by all accounts, they are very difficult people to work with. They are not very popular with the ladies. Like, this is just stuff that's come out online. This is not both of them necessarily, but, like, they uh, are sort of problematic people, right? They're kind of toxic. 
you know, as far as just their, like, I don't know them, okay? You know what I'm saying? I just know what I read about these people and stuff like that. But what I find kind of interesting about this movie is that it kind of addresses all of that kind of shit about guys. Like, it is sort of like this tryst kind of on toxic masculinity, like a like three high school kids get superpowers and in a lot of different ways, like use it and abuse it, you know, and like, um, they're not great dudes and it's very sort of telling. And I don't know if that's what they were going for, but I find it kind of ironic in a way, especially during these, you know, the times we live in and everything to kind of look back on that movie, uh, and read it and to kind of, um, you read it in the same way. It's sort of, if you could just sit down and watch it and it's a fun superpower movie, but like, I feel like you could kind of dig a little deeper in that movie these days and, um, see what else is there. So again, like, I don't know those guys or anything. I just know the conjecture I've put together from years of reading about them online and a lot of very valid sources that have come out about, about them. And, you know, they're very strong personalities and stuff, but, uh, yeah, I think that movie is very interesting. I think it's a very good movie too. Uh, and it comes from like this very weird place. So that might be uh, a strange recommend but again it's a it's a teenage sci-fi found footage film i'm all for it you know i, I definitely want to check it out i didn't i didn't know it was a landis a landis trank catastrophe <laughs> I, I didn't know that i haven't seen it but i've heard good things so i i'm definitely yeah. open to it so what's your second choice man i just don't know i'm i'm caught between like three or four movies to recommend for this well if you've decided on one tell me the ones that you were considering and then give me okay. the final one. So I got some runner ups runner up is a movie that I <laughs> recently dug up because I'm going to cover it very soon on my show. And that's teenage mutant Ninja turtles three yes. because they travel through time and they're teenagers as well. <laughs> I sense a theme here <laughs> <laughs> off air. We were discussing how, you know, in, especially in that film and a lot of the films and, a lot of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles stuff, they don't really act like teenagers. They're not really highlighted as teenagers. But as announced in a high school movie news segment, not that we were the first to announce it, the newer Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie is supposed to be them actually as teenagers. So, you know, just wanted to throw that in there. Nice. Looking forward to that because that'll be something we'll <laughs> definitely cover here. But yeah, uh, the, yeah, the Turtles 3 that some people incorrectly call turtles in time it's not turtles in time that's just the game but they do go back in time <laughs> they are turtles so i get it it does say turtles in time on my blu-ray so they've now fully adopted it for oh. purposes it's not in the movie but it's on the actual package now oh, okay so i stand corrected and that had always been even back from the early days at like mirage studios before the cartoons and stuff like they had traveled through time and stuff like that all and everything during their independent days and, and everything but the reason I can't fully recommend this is because I haven't watched it for my show yet. So what if it's good, rad or whatever, like I can't give a I can't give a solid recommend for that yet. Could you I, I mean, I can't believe I've never seen that in its entirety and I'm as old as I am and I'm as big a turtle fan as I am. Wow, but, you haven't? Uh, Jeez. We all have we all have holes in our history, I guess, that's and that's one sure. of it's that and Lawrence of Arabia. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they're, they're often compared, so I get it. Yes, yes. Uh, another movie I was highly considering is, is another movie I mentioned, uh, Tenet. Not even that because it's a time travel movie, because it's technically not, but it does some very interesting things with time going backwards. I'll just say that, I guess. Like, inversion is what they call it, not time travel, but I guess, you know, logically it's the same thing. 
Then I came down to these these last two were pretty heavy hitters. The one I'm not going to recommend, but I really want to get out there is this movie. It's called uh, Jatem Jatem, or I Love You, I Love You. And it was this sci-fi movie. It's this time travel movie I'd been looking for forever. And it was finally available like in America, mass distribution, just like uh, two or three years ago. So I was able to get it. And it's really great. It's very... I don't want to say psychedelic, but like it's very sort of like in the guy's head. Like it's a lot of voiceover. It's a lot of sort of just like drifting in and out of stuff. It's a lot of just appearing and reappearing places out of nowhere. It's a very strange sort of artsy French time travel movie that I never knew existed for the longest time. And I watched it and it's like it's it's a love story. It's like a love. It's one of those sort of like time traveler's wife-esque type uh, type deals, I feel. Just a little weirder. Because he's in, like, an actual machine. He doesn't just, like, sort of drift through space. Uh, And he's being, like, experimented on and stuff like that, too. So it's like this guy who tried to commit suicide and then signed up for this time travel test, and they're using him as a test subject. He's basically a lab rat. Uh, And he gets lost, like, throughout his lifetime. Because I guess in that one, you can only travel through your life. You can't go to before you were born. I can't... It's hard to remember. But... I just wanted to get that out there because I don't know like how many people know about that one, but it's definitely worth a watch. And so the one you can finally put on the on the uh, Instagram, the one that you can put on Twitter <laughs> to match with um, with Chronicle, has to probably be my all time favorite time travel film is Primer. Primer. Shane Carruth. Never heard of it. So this guy has only made two movies, and he's got a script. It's not even on the blacklist. It's on like the dark. It's on, like, whatever's darker than black is whatever list. Like, his new movie, like, it's supposed to be, like, incredible. Like, everyone's been trying to help him make it for a decade now. But, like, he's made this movie and one other. But Primer is really great. It starts off about two guys who are engineers. And they create a time machine to go back a day to play the stock market and get rich. And then... Uh, it sort of becomes like intoxicating and they get kind of addicted to it and they start going sort of further back to sort of replace themselves earlier and earlier so that they could sort of experience more and more. It's really cool. It's heady, but it's like easy. It's it's hard to describe. Like it just kind of washes over you. Like you just kind of have to like watch it. I don't know. There's not a lot of, I'll just say there's not a lot of technical mumbo jumbo. Okay. Like it's easy to, it's, I want to say it's easy to follow, but like it, it's easy to watch. I'll just put it like that. Like I, like you feel like you know what's going on, even if you're not quite sure. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely yeah. That's that has been sort of like the held the title for like that and Twelve Monkeys, like you know. But that one, everyone knows Twelve Monkeys. Everyone should have seen that by now. That's like the Terry Gilliam masterpiece, right? Like Bruce Willis's best role, maybe, probably. I thought so. Anyway, I just dropped a lot on you, so I'm going to stop talking for a second. No, I was just looking this all up. A primer is very interesting. $7,000 budget. Yeah, it's kind of got a... I mean, I definitely feel like it's got a cult following. Well, well, we'll definitely check that out. Maybe if we stay up late, we could check out all the other films you recommended. <laughs> from. Or you could even uh, you could even cut out one or two of those. No, if you are need you kidding to. me? Uh, <laughs> okay. you know, Let's talk about a movie from the 60s. Let's talk about everything. French film. Well, I guess that's the one from the 60s. Let's talk about a Ninja yeah. Turtle film. We got, <laughs> we got a lot of time travel films to watch. And you didn't even recommend Bill and Ted or 
uh, Back to the Future, which are movies you both enjoy but couldn't even make the list. You're a time travel guy. That's you know, <laughs> we'll we'll end it there. You are someone who. I mean, I know you have Third Time's a Charm. I know you have The Monsters That Made Us. But maybe one day, Time Travel Podcast. Who knows? Oh, you never know. You never know. And I do love those franchises. But again, I feel like, you know, if you haven't seen those, like, <laughs> if I, you know, what am I going to, I'm like, you don't want those recommendations from me. Like, you've got those already. <laughs> well, Mike, thank you so much for being the first guest of 2021. Thank you for taking me through time travel once again. Every time we're on High School Slumber Party, it feels like time traveling because, well, we're usually talking <laughs> movies of the past. Uh, I know I just did a 2020 kind of review, but that's the that's the near past. Which yeah. We, yeah. Which we're we, reliving our high school days. Yeah. Which, which is exactly why I started High School Slumber Party. So, Mike, I, I already mentioned it, but where can people uh, listen to you, follow you, find you? What are you up to lately? Whatever you want to say. Sure. So my show, Third Time's a Charm, every third, the third of every month. Yeah, that show might be ending this March, might not be. Tune in to find out um, what's going on with that show. But um, the latest episode is The Rise of Skywalker with the foodie film man himself, Kyle. Uh, every year for the last three years, we've gotten together to talk about the new, the Star Wars. We did Episode 3. We did Return of the Jedi. We did The Rise of Skywalker. Um, so that ends the Star Wars part threes, I guess, for a while now. Yeah, the new show, The Monsters That Made Us with me and Dan Cologne, that's the final Friday of every month where Dan and I are going through all of the original Universal Monster movies in order. Uh, just rewatching those, talking about them, seeing where that takes us. Uh, hopefully we'll keep that going. I would love to just talk about monsters for the rest of my life in podcast form. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> also, the man himself, the namesake of the network, Nick Cage, had a nice end of the year here. So last month, Joey and I reviewed Jiu-Jitsu, which is Nicolas Cage and... Um, a bunch of uh, martial arts, like um, stuntmen and stuff. They went and they made a Predator movie. It's basically Predator uh, with Nick Cage. It's pretty great. Then The Crudes, The New Age, which was The Crudes 2, is out. And that's Cage as a caveman, Grug. It's animated. And he is uh, co-stars with Dinklage. The Dink is the new man in town. So it's like uh, Cage and the Dink going one-to-one uh, -one with their voiceover talents. And it's really great. And uh, something that just dropped the day we're recording this, Brian, The History of the Swear Word, starring Nicolas Cage, has dropped on Netflix. So Joey and I are definitely going to do our best to get an episode of that out as soon as possible. Um, that dropped uh, unexpectedly, just out of nowhere, just sort of like, hey, this is coming next week. It's like, okay, we're, we guess we're going to uh, check that out. So starting off the new year with some new Cage. Yeah, that uh, swear word thing. A lot of people are looking forward to that because it just—I don't know—it's cage, it's cursing, it sounds fun. <laughs> Definitely looking forward to hearing what you guys think of it. I'm a little nervous. This is sort of Cage's first foray into television format kind of stuff, but uh, you know, I'm optimistic. I love the guy, um, so the more the merrier. That's what I say. Well, Mike, this is an absolute pleasure. Thanks again, and of course. This is just one of many episodes you'll be on this year, I'm sure. So yes. looking forward to that as well. Uh, yeah, I'll see you yesterday. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Always a pleasure having the Mikester on, one of the co-founders of the Cage Club Podcast Network. And I'm going to try to keep this quick so I don't have to piss off the other co-founder, Joey Lewandowski. 
He doesn't like long episodes, but <laughs> look, it's been a rough week, as I said. Sometimes we go long. That's totally okay. We're going to try to keep it under two hours, though. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Mike Manzi. So, for next week, we have a little bit of homework, of course. And I want to remind you guys, this year, at least for now, we're just going to be weekly. So that means every Friday, high school slumber party, the old way. We did that for years. We're going to continue to do that every Friday. I want to take my week to kind of relax and get some creative projects and come back with some I don't know, fun high school slumber party stuff, whatever. You don't care. Every Friday. So next Friday, Ryan Stick of the Ryan Stick Show. We've had him on before. He'll be back. He's awesome. He's excited to talk this movie, Idle Hands. So I came all the way over here. You said you was holding. I didn't say what I was holding. (laughs) Anton Tobias never had much on his mind. Don't you think you should have like a goal? My dream life would be to lie around all day in bed and watch TV while somehow Brad delivers me food. And he always had time on his hands. Four bodies have been discovered, and the killer is still at large. Until one of them got a mind of its own. I have no control over my hands. It makes me do things I don't want it to do. Aren't you a little old for Ding Dong Ditch? Sorry about your bush. I'm gonna call 911. What's the number? I'm not the killer. Okay. I mean, if OJ can get off, then I'm sure. You'll be here? Now, his hand won't stop. I don't want to hurt you. They don't! Ew, that's disgusting. His friends won't die. Ted! Undead, actually. And there was this big, bright white light at the end of a long tunnel. So what happened? We were like, forget that, man. Too far. And the only way to stop it... <laughs> idle hands of the devil's playpen, so keep my hands occupied, right? ...is to keep it busy. Freeze! Drop the knitting needles. That's probably not a good idea. Put them down! Cuff me! Put those needles down, young man! Down! Cuff me, cuff me, go! <gasps> Columbia Pictures presents... The police have no leads, and the killer is still out there. He's screaming like a girl. The comedy... Careful, it's on kind of loose. That's where it's starting to get on my nerves. ...that dares to give scary movies... Hey, look at me! Help me in the face! The backhand... What you doing, man? That's my dad, come on! CPR, man, I saw him Baywatch. Did you lose something there, bud? Idle Hands, the touching story of a boy and his hand. Kinky. Fly for white guy. Look, any trailer that ends with an Offspring song, I'm going to be down to clown with. (laughs) Even though that kind of didn't sound like the Offspring. I don't know. Anyway, Idle Hands with Ryan Stick of the Ryan Stick Show. I can't wait for it next Friday. Until then... Be safe and remember, life moves pretty fast. And if you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it. Let's leave you with another song from the Project Almanac soundtrack. It's another one of these trendy 2014 hits. Honestly, I'm not complaining. The song is Atlas Genius. Sorry, the band is Atlas Genius. Shows how hip I am. The song is Electric. <laughs> Later, dudes.